who have been here a while, you know that I was our young adult pastor for a long time, working with FM, the 18 to 30 age group. And for most of those years that I worked in FM, we met on Thursday nights. And usually afterwards, a group of young adults would go out to Applebee's for half-price appetizers. Now, when you're in college, half-price always sounds good, all right? And so we would get this whole group together, and we would try to get all of us at one table or a couple of tables, and we would go and we'd hang out at Applebee's after FM. Now, the reason we did this was not just because we loved the glorious uh, quesadillas and, and awesome wings, and they're still good to this day, but it wasn't only because of that. It was because we recognized that to get young adults to commit to coming to church every week, especially those who didn't know much about God and didn't have much of a church background, just coming to church and coming into our worship service wasn't going to do a real great job to attract them back. We recognized that we needed to build connection and build friendship with folks. And so literally, we started FM with like six people. And we were desperate for new people to come, desperate for people to become and get involved and learn more about God. So when people would come to a Thursday night, we'd be like, go to Applebee's with us. And they'd be like, oh, I don't know. We'd say, no, you're going. Everybody goes. And we'd get them to go with us for the half-price apps. Now, as the group grew, Applebee's night continued, but... Some people chose not to head out to Applebee's because they ended up with a wife and kids. All right, that was me. Some people, some people were on diets and realized that deep fried, cheesy, artery clogging, trans fatty foods were not good for them, so they stopped going to Applebee's. Others graduated college and they had to get up early for a job for the first time in their life, and so they opted out. But tradition dies hard, and for the most part, if there's not something else going on after FM on a Thursday or Wednesday night, you'll hear a few people go, hey, we're heading to Applebee's, who's in? Now, as Applebee's night became a little bit less of a mainstay for our young adult ministry, I did start to notice something that gave me pause. I heard the following conversation multiple times over the years as I was working as a young adult pastor. Somebody would be getting a head count. All right, and they'd look at people and they'd say, Hey, we're getting a head count for Applebee's. Are you in? And the person who was just asked would respond something like this Well, who's all going? <laughs> and then the head counter would state who all was in, and then the person who said who's all going would judge whether or not to go. Now, that is a seemingly innocent conversation, right? But it really isn't. Because what was implied by the who's all going person was the following. You, well really, what was really implied was, are any of my close friends going? Because you and the rest of the people that you're about to list, you really don't do it for me. Who's all going means, are my close friends, my close associates, people who I want to hang out with going? Because if not, I'm out. Now, I heard that line a number of times from multiple young adults over the years, and they didn't mean any offense by it. But they really didn't quite know what they were conveying. They didn't really know what they were conveying. It also conveyed another thing to me. It conveyed to me as FM grew, and as it became a more stable group, and as we began to get larger, it was easy for people, catch this, to stop using social settings to fulfill the Great Commission and rely upon the church service to do the work of evangelism for them. 
In other words, the group started with the mantra, let's make sure we hang out with people so we can eventually get them closer to God. We'll use Applebee's, we'll use bonfires, we'll use game nights as hangout spots, and we'll get people closer to God because they made connection with us. But as the group grew, Applebee's became a place for some to go only if your friends were there. Now that's not a huge deal because Applebee's is neither here nor there. The question is, did I use the fellowship and the time that was allotted to fulfill the Great Commission? My point in bringing this case study to you today is simple. It is easy in the church world to make church the thing while forgetting that our social interaction belongs to God too. Our social life should be submitted to God just as much as our church life is submitted to him and his purposes. Jesus was once at a dinner party, and he said as much. Let's go ahead and read Luke chapter 14, verses 12 and following. He said to the one who had invited him, Now, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, in case they may invite you in return, and then you'd be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. If you consider yourself a Christian and you believe that you should obey the words of Jesus, this passage should make you squirm. That is not an enjoyable passage for me to read. I can't imagine that it's an enjoyable passage for most of you to read. I mean, Jesus is saying, don't always invite your friends. Don't always invite your relatives. Don't always invite people that you're trying to impress. Jesus is saying, I want you to include. I want you to invite people who aren't quite in the center of your social circle. People whose presence might make you uncomfortable. People whose friendship might not offer a ton to you in terms of reciprocal friendship and reciprocal favor. Really, Jesus, is this what you want of us, or is this speaking to some greater truth? No, it's not speaking to some greater truth. It's speaking to him looking at somebody dead in the eye and saying, this is what you should do. With a passage like this, Jesus is striking directly at the heart of our human inclinations. Because we all, I'm gonna say, I don't use a lot of absolutes, but I'm using it today. We all create our social network to feel good about ourselves and to feel comfortable with people who are like us and so that we can gain things in return. It's part of our natural human state. We want to be comfortable, we want to be happy, and we want to be with people who make us feel that way. We don't create our social networks, and let me put it to you this way, we don't create our social networks without Jesus to give of ourselves. We don't create friendships primarily based in giving to others. But that's exactly what Jesus is advocating here. Now let's look at this passage in its context for just a minute. Jesus heads to this dinner party at the house of a leader of the Pharisees. Now just let me pause for a minute. One of these Pharisees going to learn? Don't invite Jesus to dinner. <laughs> really. I mean, you read the book of Luke and every time he goes to dinner, he just blows up the dinner party. It gets weird. It gets uncomfortable. People start going (gasps) all over the place. I mean, really, don't invite Jesus to your dinner party. That is not a good idea if you're a Pharisee. 
Now, Pharisees, as we mentioned, were the keepers of the law, if you will. They were people who really knew the Old Testament super well, They were peop- or the Old Testament super well. They were people who kept the law of Moses and all the additional 619 laws that ends up in the Talmud and the Mishnah. They kept all the traditions and the laws as best they could, and they wanted to regulate other people doing the same. And that's where we get our term pharisaical today for people who are a little bit over and above in terms of the rules and the regulations. So Jesus heads to this leader of the Pharisees' house, and this whole dinner party is a disaster. It really is. Not for Jesus. Jesus got a wonderful opportunity to teach these people. As he's on his way to the dinner party, he sees a man who has dropsy. Now, we would would consider that today someone who is retaining water, perhaps because of of congestive heart failure or a kidney problem. He's got got dropsy. And so Jesus looks at these Pharisees on the way to dinner, because it's on the Sabbath, and says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And all of them went, oh, no. They didn't say it, they just stood there silently. And Jesus just goes ahead and heals the guy anyways. So they're already a little bit upset with Jesus for that. He goes into the dinner party and he notices that people are taking the place of honor at the table. And in the ancient world, what would happen is when you went to a big dinner party, you would sort of sit closest to the head of the table for how important you were or how rich you were in the society. And they were sort of jockeying for position at the table. And Jesus just looks at these guys who are supposed to be spiritual and goes, guys, this is not humble behavior at all. This is not it. So he goes ahead and he tells them a parable about going to a wedding. So he, he softens it just a bit by saying, not a dinner, but a wedding. He says, don't try to take the place of honor. Do the humble thing first. And then in essence, he sort of implies through the parable that God will honor the humble, but he'll, he, will, uh, he will lay low, if you will, the proud. And then right after this passage, I'm setting the context here, right after this passage, Jesus speaks another parable and talks about people who think they're in with God not really being there when heaven comes, but people who maybe aren't so fit, maybe people who need Calvary to cover it all, maybe people who feel a little bit of sin and shame and need God's grace and love to come into their lives, they will be the people who sit with God in eternity. So that's the context around this passage. This dinner party, as I mentioned, is, is, is yucky. You would not have wanted to be there. I would not have wanted to be there. It was uncomfortable. Jesus is, is breaking up all their assumptions about social and interaction. Jesus is, 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 is calling them out about who they are and how they're conducting themselves. It's not a comfortable situation whatsoever. Don't climb the social ladder. Go ahead and heal on the Sabbath. But then we get to this one that we're talking about today, where Jesus looks directly at the host, how uncomfortable, and starts saying to him, stop spending all your free time entertaining your friends and using your social network to bring yourself comfort and favor. Who was comfortable for this leader of the Pharisees? Other Pharisees, people who were just like him. They thought alike, and they dressed alike, and they had common hobbies. They had things to talk about. And the chances were, if you invited one Pharisee to dinner, you'd get a nice invite down the line. He didn't have to go over and above hosting his buddies. It was easy for him. It was familiar. He didn't have to have awkward conversations because they had so much in common to begin with. It probably also helped his social standing to host these dinners. So Jesus looks directly at him and says, start giving of your time to people who need it. Stop doing this thing and start doing something else. 
And then he goes on to say, your repayment, I'm not dismissing children, right? I am dismissing children. Children, get out of here. My goodness, am I confused this morning. I thought I had this conversation. Apparently, I wasn't listening. Kids, invite somebody new to your lunch table this week. Application. I'm dead serious. That kid who's sitting alone, invite them to your lunch table. Goodbye. I'm so sorry. I'm so confused. (laughs) We just talked directly before the service. And I I think I said, no children's church, right? She goes, no, I haven't had the opportunity to teach them. We're having children's church. I don't know why that, anyways. So. (laughs) We're going to figure this out. Anyhow. Jesus goes on to look at this guy and says, "And, and listen, these people can't repay you. He goes ahead and he, and he picks out folks that would not normally get invited to dinner. Of course, the poor, because the poor can't invite you back to dinner. And people often look down upon the poor, especially those who have money. And they'll think things like, why don't they have any money? Apparently, they didn't take a uh, Dave Ramsey class. What's wrong with these people, right? And so we looked down upon the poor. And then the crippled and the lame were folks. And in this time, day and age, they were sort of considered sinners. They were sort of considered people who were crippled or lame because their parents or they had sinned. Or blind because somebody had sinned. And so they were sort of social outcasts, not just because they would require extra attention and help, but there was also this context or this connotation that that they had somehow sinned and brought this upon themselves. So in essence, he's saying, don't invite all your friends. Don't invite the people who can repay you. Don't invite the people who make you comfortable because in the end, God is going to repay you if you start taking care of people who you're supposed to take care of. God will repay you at the resurrection of the righteous. And of course, we sang about that today, that there will be a day when we are resurrected, that we are given new bodies, that we get to inhabit the new earth that God makes perfect. It's going to be beautiful. And on that day, Jesus says, you start taking in people and taking care of people that nobody else is taking care of. You start inviting people and being caring for people who nobody else is taking a look at. You start doing that, and you're going to be repaid in heaven, in the new earth. You're going to be repaid in that day. Now, I can't imagine what repaid meant. I mean, on a perfect earth where you're perfectly provided for, what's God going to do? Hand out Benjamins? You know? I'm going to repay you. Nice job. That was a nice dinner party. 100, 200, 300. What does that even mean? Well, if we're really reading this in context and we read all the way through to the end of chapter 16, what he's talking about here is you're going to be repaid because you're going to see these people in heaven. That's the repayment. That's what's going to make it worth it. Because your goal in inviting folks who wouldn't normally get invited, your goal in expanding your social network, your goal in giving to people who can't give back to you is not just so you can pat yourself on the back and say, boy, am I a good person. But you do this evangelistically. In fact, the rest of the next two chapters is all about this. Chapter 15 is one of the most famous chapters in the whole Bible. The parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the prodigal son. All about people coming back into the kingdom. And then, of course, chapter 16 of Luke we preached on a few months ago. Remember that weird message we preached about using your dishonest wealth in order to make friends so that you will see them in heaven? Do you remember that message? If you don't, check it out online, www.vlchurch.com. It's a great message. 
Great message. This entire uh, area of Scripture is Jesus doing this ministry with folks and saying to them, you need to look for the lost people. Don't just look for your friends and your relatives and your close associates all the time. You need to be looking for the lost people. He's looking at this Pharisee and saying, you might be a big wig in the church, pal, but if you're not looking for the lost, you're missing it. See, there's a natural question here that I need to, I need to address, and I think it's important for all of us. Is Jesus trying to rid the Pharisee of all family dinners, all big family dinners, all close friendships, and all networking opportunities? I, I don't think so. I mean, you're allowed to have dinner with your family. Really. I mean, you're allowed to have a business dinner. That's okay. But what he's seeing here is an inclination by these folks to just have a club of mutual appreciation. And he says, stop it. Stop it. You're allowed to have dinner with your family, but stop this. Stop this. He's looking at the Pharisee and saying, you need to extend your social circle. You need to start including people who aren't like you because seeing someone in heaven is far greater than one more night with your bros and your BFFs. It's true. Seeing people saved Seeing the lost found is better than hanging with your friends. It's better. It's more important. And we should take pause for a minute because the Bible says that Jesus has given the church. That's us. Don't don't, don't think the church is the building. You're the church. Jesus has given us the keys to the kingdom. He's given us the ability to help people into relationship with God. Now, some of us bear that as a burden. Oh, I have to get people saved. Oh. And, and, it's, and it's awful. And it shouldn't be awful at all. It should be an opportunity. We should be saying thank you. In essence, we get to look at heaven and say, God, we get to participate in the most important thing that will ever happen on earth. Thank you. Thank you. That's the kingdom. We get to participate in the most incredible thing in history. We get to participate in that. We shouldn't bear that as a burden. We shouldn't bear that as a responsibility. Oh, woe is me. I have this huge burden. I cry every night. Stop it. It's not a burden. It's a joy to be able to have this opportunity to introduce people to Jesus Christ. The problem is, as John Piper once put it, there is a subtle and relentless inclination in our flesh to do what will make life as comfortable as possible, and to avoid what will inconvenience us or agitate our routine. He called it a subtle and relentless inclination in our flesh, in our sinful nature, to live as comfortably as possible, to avoid inconvenience, and to anything that will agitate our routine. That's what we're fighting against. That's the other side of this. There's the start doing this, but there's also this part of us that just wants to be comfortable and just wants to relax and just wants to have friends in a social network that make us feel better about ourselves. Is that so wrong? Well, I don't think it's wrong to relax, and I don't think it's wrong to have good friends. I don't think it's wrong to have people that we're really comfortable around. The problem is we can get into that mode and stop being evangelistic in our efforts We can stop looking, and evangelistic means to give the good news. 
And the good news is Jesus loves you and he cares about you. He has a plan for your life and he wants to include you in this kingdom of God, which is the biggest thing that's going on right now. That's the good news. That's evangelism. He doesn't want us to just get our social circle to insulate ourselves against the world. In fact, he wants us to throw open our social circle so that we don't insulate ourselves against the world, so that we have to step out in faith, so that we have to pray and say, Lord, help me. This is uncomfortable. This is weird. This is hard. Help me, Lord. I know I'm doing your work, so help me. But so many of us rarely open up our lives to anyone. And there's reasons that we don't do this. Some of us just don't want to be on. Now, the extroverts in the room go, I have no idea what you're talking about, Pastor Matt. And I could explain this for an hour, and you wouldn't. But the introverts in the room know exactly what I mean by being on. You never like to be on. You don't like to have to think fast enough to have conversations with people. You, you don't like to have to be in, in social settings. When I said, come down to the taco lunch a little bit later, you said, there's going to be a lot of people there. I think I'll just go home. You don't want to be on. You don't want to have to have a conversation. You don't want to put yourself out there. You're an introvert. But that doesn't excuse you. It doesn't excuse you. Your natural inclination to want to avoid social situations doesn't exclude you from this. In fact, it gives God greater opportunity to use you when you step out in faith. Because you say, God, this isn't me. I'm not good at making conversation. I'm not good at inviting people to things. I have never hosted a dinner party where everything didn't end up burned. Help me, Lord, not to burn the roast. Whatever. But that doesn't excuse you. Some people just want to look at others and go, I just don't click with them. I, I just don't click. I just don't click. That's the problem. We're, we're, it's not like this. The conversation's always strained. It's always weird. I could never invite them anywhere. It's just not going to work out. I'm so super busy. I, I can't extend my social circle at all. I'm just too super busy. I'm busy. Don't you get it? I'm busy. I am busy. I'm busy. Don't you get it? I'm busy. Pastor Matt, I would do this, but I'm busy. But I'm busy. A couple chapters over, it says, you know, when the day that Jesus comes, it arrives, it'll, it'll be like the days of Noah. People will be eating, drinking, and making merry, and boom, Jesus is going to return. We're going to be busy being busy. Busy doing the things that we do. It does not excuse us from doing the work that God's called us to do. Sometimes we look at people and just think that's too much of an effort because they're just too weird. Jesus hung out with a lot of weird people. Just a few chapters ago, someone cried on his feet and washed his feet with her hair. That's weird, okay? It was beautiful, but weird. Jesus hung out with weird people. Lord, forgive me if that was sacrilegious, but it it was weird. But most of the time, we don't do this stuff because we just don't think at all. We don't care to put ourselves in the shoes of the orphan. Don't care to put ourselves in the shoes of the widow. We don't care to put ourselves in the shoes of the new person. We don't care to put ourselves in the shoes of the outsider. We look at people when we have the opportunity to greet them and invite them and include them and say, you know what, they probably just want to be left alone. Yeah, like people come to church because they don't want anybody to notice them, right? Yeah, that would be great. Or or people are new to your workplace and they would just like to stay in their cubicle and not be bothered all day, right? No! Don't tell yourself that weird lie that they probably just don't want to be bothered. There's like only 5% of the population that is that curmudgeon that they don't want anybody to bother them. 
Only maybe five. So there's like 95% of people out there. This is not a scientific study. There's like 95% of people out there who want to be greeted, who'd like to be included, who aren't racing to get out of there with nobody talking to them. I know who you people are who don't want to be talked to. The minute I say amen, you are halfway out the door. You are sprinting for the parking lot. You have started your car before you left this door with the automatic starter. You're ready to leave. I know who that 5%... No, I don't know who you are. I I see you zooming, though. (laughs) Don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. Right? Okay, so if you're that introverted, we'll pray for you for something else. But as far as this, as far as this is concerned, we're not excused for any of these ridiculous reasons we give ourselves. I've heard it said so often in the church, the hardest place to make God the Lord or God the boss is in your bank account. You ever heard that before? I've heard a number of preachers say that over the years. I disagree wholeheartedly with that statement. It might have been that way 30, 50, 100 years ago. But I really believe that the hardest place to make God the boss is your social interaction. I believe that's the hardest place for most Christians. I know plenty of people who will tithe and they'll give, but they don't use their personal life to spread God's goodness. They don't use their personal life evangelistically. They'll give to the church, they'll tithe, they'll bless people financially, but their life isn't open at all. It's very closed. It's very closed. It's about the close friends and the close relatives, the things that make them feel comfortable, and they'll give and they'll give and they'll, they'll serve in the church and they'll do stuff, but try to get into their social circle and, and there, there's no entry points. And I, I don't know why this is, I I thought about it this week, and I really tried to get to the bottom of it mentally, socially, psychologically. I don't know why this is. I could could probably preach about this and think about this and never come up with the right answer. I don't know why this is, but I, I do observe something. I think we've created an age of Christians who will invest their time in church, but who hold on to their social life and tell God, you can't have that. You can't have that. I I will give to the church, and I will go to the church, and I will serve in the church. I'll even go on outreaches through the church. But my social life belongs to me, God. You can't have that. You can't have that. No, that's that's what's most precious. More precious than my money. More precious than what I got in the bank. You can have that, Lord. But, But don't take my comfortable away from me. Don't take my comfortable. My comfortable's all I have. I've given you everything, Lord. Don't take my comfortable. And I want to tell you, God needs that to use you to build his kingdom. That's the honest truth. And and the real honest truth is, it's God's. He's given you this life to use. He's given you this life to use. He's given you this life to use. And when we get to heaven and when we get to that resurrection of the righteous where everything's made new, it's not going to matter how many times that we hung out with our bros and our BFFs. That's not in the equation. Did that make life more enjoyable? Sure. Once again, I'm not trying to get rid of your closest friends or ruin something. That's, that wouldn't be my goal at all. In fact, let me just pause for a minute and say I'm preaching this because they're the words of Jesus This isn't just some pastor trying to wreck your day. This is Jesus trying to wreck your day. In fact, it wrecks mine too. 
It wrecks mine too because I don't want Jesus to take my comfortable. I don't want him to take my social network. It's fine, thank you very much. I like the friends that I have. I like the family that I have. That's enough for me. And God's saying, I know it's enough for you, but it's not enough for the kingdom. Where's the open door into your life that allows people to come in to get introduced to me? So let's talk about some practical ways that we can submit our social interaction to God. Number one, for those of you taking notes, use the calendar to your advantage. Think about who you just picnicked with for Memorial Day. Will you be picnicking with the exact same people on the 4th of July? You say, yes, I will. The same people. Yes, indeed, Pastor Matt, that's right. The same people who will, I will also be picnicking with on Labor Day and the same people that I will be having turkey with on Thanksgiving and the same people I will be having whatever on Christmas. And yes, yes, it's true. Use the calendar to your advantage. The 4th of July is coming. Labor Day's coming. Who's on the guest list? Is there anyone who isn't a close fr- family member, who isn't a close friend? And I know what you're thinking. It's awkward when a non-family member attends a family event. Right? Yes, it is awkward. It's weird. It's different. They're, they're, not, they're not in. But guess what? People who use their gifts of hospitality and their gifts of love and the things that Jesus has given them can make it not awkward any longer. Make people feel loved. Make people feel apart. Have a plan for conversation. Have a plan for games. Have a plan to make somebody feel like they're apart and in. I remember we did this a few years ago. We had a big family 4th of July picnic, and there was a non-family member coming. So I had him grill. Why? Because men go and stand by the grill. And I thought, well, he'll, go gr- he'll have lots of people to talk to because men like to stand by the grill and discuss how many times you should flip a hamburger. You know? But he's right in, right? We should be thinking about these things. We should be having non-family members. We should be having people that we're reaching out to. We should be looking for people who don't have an in, who don't have a family, who don't have a way to give back to us, and we should be including them. Now, let me give you a bit of practical advice. If your sister Betty or your brother Bob is hosting someone at their house, don't bring your friend who's new. That's not polite, right? And they might not be a believer. They might not be somebody who's living their life the way you are. Host people in your home. Jesus didn't say, invite your friends to other people's houses. All right? He said, host them in yours. Okay? Now, let's say Brother Betty, or Brother Betty, oh. I'm going to refrain from any social commentary. Let's say Sister Betty or Brother Bob is a believer, and they believe like you do, that your life should be open, and that you want to minister to people who are lonely, minister to people who are left out, minister to people who are lost. You may call them and say, hey, I've got this friend. Is it all right? Well, then it's all right. But if they're a non-believer, if they're not living their life like you are, they're holding on to their comfortable. They don't want you to blow that up, so don't. But when it's in your home, you can set an example and you can set a precedent. You can set an example and you can set a precedent. You might be thinking, I could invite somebody to somewhere, but I don't know who I could get to show up. Probably the only people who would show up is people who don't have any close friends or a lot of family. Right! 
You want people who don't have a lot of close friends and a lot of family. You want to reach out to folks who are lost. This is important. Use the calendar to your advantage. Don't make every holiday, don't make every function so sacred that a new person couldn't come. And that's a really good test. Is everything in my life so sacred that nobody knew could ever make their way in? I, I, I lament times where someone else brought a stranger into my family event and I didn't go over and above to make that stranger feel loved and welcomed. I lament stuff like that when I read passages like this and I say, Lord, never again, never again, never again. Number two, when you're hosting that dinner party, when you're hosting that picnic, when you're hosting that game night, do a very simple thing. Say, God, who else? Pray. God, who else? Put it in his hands. Who have you had interaction with that you wouldn't think about? Your life's busy. You've got a lot going on. But God does think about, but is on the heart of God. That God has arranged you to meet this person and interact with this person. And maybe God's giving you an opportunity to pull this person in. So when you're about to host something, do something crazy and pray. Say, God, who else can I include? Who else can I involve? I recognize that some of you are great hosts and hostesses. You love having people in your home. You love hosting things. Use that to your advantage. Do you know one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the gift of hospitality? It's in the Bible. People who have the gift of hospitality. It's from the Holy Spirit. It's a God-given gift. You say, well, I don't prophesy. Okay, can you host people? right? We're always in search of the things that look, make us look very spiritual. Hosting people, though, apparently is very spiritual business if Jesus is going to blow up this Pharisee's dinner party to bring it up. It's very spiritual business. Now, some of you might not be good hosts and hostesses. Some of you might not have the gift of hospitality, and that's okay. But listen to point three. Your goal as a Christian should be to attack new people, and I mean that in the nicest way possible. Go after people who are new at work. Go after people who are new in the neighborhood. Go after people who are new at church. And maybe you don't like having people in your home, but maybe you like doing some other things. Maybe you like to go down and listen to a concert on Friday night in one of the metro parks. Maybe you enjoy going out and playing softball or, or tennis or, or, or soccer or whatever. Maybe, maybe you just like going to lunch with people. Well, when you see a new person, if you're really thinking about including people and, and, and fulfilling the Great Commission through your relationships, I'm going to ask you to do something that's just going to blow your mind. Exchange numbers. Exchange them. Go greet somebody and say, hey, how you doing? Find a common hobby. Say, hey, can I get your number? Because next time I do this, I'd love to give you a call and do it. <gasps> it it's mind-transforming. Perhaps you like cars, and you go, on, go like going to the Monday night car show at, at the Falls Riverfront. And you meet a new guy in church, and, and you don't know what's in common. Oh, oh, you like cars? I love cars. Yeah, I've been working on this. Yeah, I've been working on this. Well, I go down to the car shows on Monday night. Would you like to go down with me this week? I mean, that's mind-blowing, but it's so simple. Why don't we do things like this? Why don't we look to include people in our lives? Am I getting too practical? Because I'll stop. Some of you are like, please, please stop. Please. You haven't named my hobby yet. Please. <laughs> Invite people places. 
For those of you who go to the same restaurant every Sunday after church with the same people, you, you should go just stand at the side doors. Well, not today. You're going to the taco lunch to support the youth. But next week, go stand by the side doors and, and just, hey, who are you? <laughs> I, well, I'm, I'm Bob and this is Betty. All right. Well, Bob and Betty, we're going to lunch. You want to go? Well, what if they say no? Well, then they say no. Try again next week. Really, we need to open our lives to people, folks. It's the word of God. You know, you say, well, I don't see people who come into the church as lost and needing found. Well, they came here for a reason. Very few people walk in these doors in a massive quest for truth. I know you did. (laughs) They come in these doors because they need something. Maybe they did have a home church and things didn't work out there. That's the case with some people. But some people are here because their life isn't working out the way that they thought it was going to work out. And they, they could use a friend. They could use a connection in the church family. They, they actually want a church family. And you can help bring that to folks. Because for some of these people, they go from church to church to church, and they don't get connected with anybody, and then all of a sudden they're not in church anymore. You see, you can use your church evangelistically as well. Invite people. And finally, for those of you who aren't great hosts and aren't great hostesses, and you don't like to open up your home a lot, or maybe your home's not great for opening it up to people, that's Okay. Use church fellowship times to open your life. I mean, honestly, for those of you who are, who are longtime members of Victory Life and are desperate to see God use this place to grow his kingdom and for new people to come in and, and be saved and be healed and be, be set free, don't, don't take off and, and, and avoid days like today. Go down into the noisy atmosphere and make sure you sit with somebody you've never sat with before. Somebody who you don't know. Somebody who looks new. Well, the conversation might be awkward. Yes, it might be awkward. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Open your life, folks. For those of you who would think, well, I know the church picnic's going up. I always go to the church picnic. I eat at the church picnic, and then the moment I've eaten, I leave. The moment you eat, you leave. But you have an opportunity to interact with people, to connect with people to make a difference in people's lives, to make people feel welcome, to make people feel like they belong. Use that. Don't allow your introversion, don't allow your sense of comfortable to keep you from doing what God would have you do. Open our lives. That's what Jesus is calling us to do today. Open our lives to others. Don't be exclusive. Don't be people who hold on to comfortable. Be people who throw open the gates of our lives and say, come on in. Come on in. Come what may. Come what may. You know, I really believe that there's a beautiful model for church, and, and it's, it's a very, very simple one, really. On a Sunday morning, you need to give people the opportunity to connect to God. And, and it, 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 that's it. They need to connect to God. They need to hear something from his word. They need to be exposed to worship. They need to have a time where God can touch their heart. And the second half of that ministry model is very simple. They need to connect with the people of God. They need to connect with the people of God. They need to connect with the redeemed, if you will, to use a little bit of Christianese, those who have been found. And I want to tell you, if we don't lead open lives and we don't make that a priority, we're not going to build God's kingdom. And you say, the start might be, say, I invite people to... Uh, work to, from work to church all the time and everybody always tells me no. Well, how many times have you like hung out with those same people? 
How many times have you opened your life to them and created a friendship? How many times have you let them know that they're not a project, they're a person? See, these are questions we need to ask ourselves. Because Jesus does call, ask us to be wise and to be shrewd in the way that we deal with people. We are to be people who think about our interactions and what all of them look like. So today, don't be the who's all going person. Don't be the person who's only concerned about your comfortable and your little group of mutual appreciation. Don't be that person. God has so much more for you. He wants you to get full payment on the day of the resurrection of the righteous. And full payment is joy that your life helped other lives connect with God. That's joy. That's full payment. That's so much better than money. That's so much better than riches. It's so much better than streets of gold to know that your life counted and brought people close to Jesus Christ. That's beautiful payment. And that's what God wants for each and every one of us. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Elders, would you come and take your places in the aisle? Because when I'm done praying, I'm going to invite you who are committing to the message and you who have need of healing to come and be anointed. Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning. And Lord, our, our goal is not to in any way leave this place discouraged or down or upset. Our goal is to leave this place empowered by your Holy Spirit to do the work that Jesus has called us to do. And for some of us today, I believe that the words of Jesus have hit us the same way that they probably hit that Pharisee that day. As a bit uncomfortable, perhaps not exactly what we wanted to hear, but truly what we did need to hear. God, I pray that you would help us to be people of open lives, open hearts, people who invite the lost and the lonely, people who invite the socially awkward, people who include those who don't have a place. Because that's your heart. That's your heart. The next passage in this verse, in this scripture from Luke 14 says that you, O Lord, invite everybody to your dinner. Everybody's invited. Come on in. Lord, I pray that we would be people who reflect the heart of God. That we include and we invite and we reach out. We use our lives evangelistically to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray today as we commit these things to you whether in prayer, at our seat, or at the altar. Lord, that you would touch our hearts, that you would empower us by your spirit, and that you would tell us exactly what we need to do. Today, I'm just going to invite you to pray for a few minutes, and those might be the questions you want to ask God. Lord, what are you saying to me? Lord, who are you showing me? Perhaps some of you today go, I'm missing the mark, Pastor Matt, and I know it. I'm missing the mark on this. There's some things I need to confess to the Lord. And I want to pray. Well, I want to tell you, you do that. These altars are open today. And so if you have business to do with the Lord in regards to this message, you come and do that. And today, if you need prayer for healing, prayer for direction, 
prayer for a family member or a loved one, I'm also going to invite you at this time to come and be anointed and prayed for. So if you have need today, would you stand and would you come? We'd love to pray for you.